The passage that we're going to read from the Bible today is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 11, to chapter 6, verse 20. So we're starting at Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessings of God but land that produces thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all, all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear, to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. 
we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Good morning. I'm Colin. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Woolcroft. Thanks for being with us. Too soon? Nah, come on, it's less than a month away. Well, I saw this spoof headline the other day that really caught my attention. After it's revealed gyms could reopen for 3rd of December, many members say they can't wait to start not going to them again. Now, I find it funny because it rings so true, doesn't it? Because for me, like most members of gyms, the reason I'm not there more often isn't because it was closed. It's because I'm too lazy. And gyms run on a model that most members won't turn up most of the time. Most people like the idea of the fitness that being a member of a gym can bring. But most people are too lazy to have the diligence to achieve it. Well, I am at least. And the heartfelt plea of today's passage is this. Don't become lazy. 6 verse 12, chapter 6 verse 12. If you don't remember anything else from today's talk, remember this, this key verse. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So this is just the latest in a series of warnings and encouragements that the author of this sermon or Bible talk to the Hebrews, the Christians with a Jewish background, the latest that he's been given. And the headline is of this whole sermon, see how Jesus is better in every way so that you are encouraged not to give up on him, but to keep holding on to Jesus in faith until the very end. So that's the message of the book of Hebrews. Because like us, uh, the Hebrews, their world, their day-to-day -day life was putting pressure on them all the time to find their rest and assurance in other things. Pressure to, to give up on Jesus because of the real suffering and struggle that living our lives for Jesus brings. But in every way, whatever else is on offer, Jesus is better. And today our encouragement is that Jesus means that we're convinced of better things for us, for our future. Verse 9, things that have to do with salvation. It's our encouragement and it's our warning. Our warning is, don't be lazy. Put your back into holding on to these promises diligently. That's quite a long passage today, so here's how we're breaking it down. First, we're urged to grow up. Um, and then we'll be warned about dangerous laziness. And then we'll be encouraged to diligently be convinced of better things. Grow up, dangerous laziness, better things. First of all then, we're urged to grow up. See, the author's not yet halfway through this sermon. And verse 11, he says, he's still got much to say about how Jesus is better. But he's got worries about how much of what he's got to say is, is going to go in. So 5 verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, 
though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. You no longer try to understand. The other is frustrated that some of his audience are not showing any progress. They seem to be hovering around the point of conversion, of believing the gospel for the first time, but never growing to any maturity. So the problem isn't so much hearing the basics of the gospel over and over again. I mean, we all need to do that. We all should do that. But the problem is that they are having to hear it as if to understand the gospel for the first time over and over. They've heard the gospel, but they haven't yet tried to understand the implications, the consequences of believing the gospel for how they live their lives. Which begs the question of us, do we try to understand? The gospel, the good news about Jesus, who he is and what he's done. It's a very simple message. You know, my foster sister um, who has Down syndrome and significant learning difficulties, she gets the gospel. She loves Jesus. Yet it's also a very deep message, which has a direct bearing on every aspect of our lives. And that takes a lifetime to grow in and learn. So it's something we have to make the effort to try to understand. Yes, now God promises to speak to us through his word and to transform us to be more like Jesus by his spirit. That's true. But none of that lets us off the hook of actively, on purpose, joining in with God's work in us. Joining in with that growth. So are you trying to understand? For example, how do you listen to sermons like this one? So it's my job here to be faithful to the text, to what the Bible's saying, and to try to convince you at a heart level of what it is saying. But I will never be anywhere near perfect at doing that, nor will any other preacher that you ever come across. So we, as the listener, just like the audience of the, he of the letter to the Hebrews, we've got a job to do as well when we listen to sermons, when we read Christian books, and when we read the Bible. A job to do our best to understand. Uh, we've been watching some of the SA government's COVID press conferences. And if you watch them on, live on Facebook, at least as fascinating are the live comments that people type. Now, of course, the press should probe and press and question and not just passively let the government information wash over them without scrutiny. The press have got a job to do. But in the comments, people are often really grumpy with the journos, especially the one called Andrew, because it usually seems like they've already written a story about blame or failure, and they're just searching for a quote to back up their preconceived story. And they often ask questions which have already just been answered by what the people on the podium have said, but clearly wasn't the answer that they wanted. Similarly, our job when we read or listen to Christian teaching isn't to passively just let it wash over us, no questions asked. Nor should we be so set in what we think already, what we think we know already, or so inattentive to what is being said that we become unteachable. 
And we need to wrestle with it, to ponder it, to try to understand. No doubt I need to do a good, a good job here, but so do you. So what does maturity look like? If understanding the basic gospel, understanding that we can approach God with confidence through faith in Jesus, whose sacrifice is paid for our sins. Well, if that's milk, what is solid food? Well, it's about righteousness and about knowing good from bad. Chapter five, verse 13. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So the solid food is learning how to take the truth of the gospel and for that to impact every aspect of how we live. Having the gospel teach us what is right and what is wrong. So not learning and begrudgingly obeying a list of do's and don'ts, but rather thinking through what the gospel teaches us in every situation. So for example, self-control. We could control ourselves just out of a fear of punishment. Or we could go along with the world and say, controlling your desires is repressive, dangerous even. So just express yourself as you feel right. But the grace of the gospel teaches us to say no to our passions. The gospel makes us aware of what we have been saved from so that we don't want to go back there. And the gospel makes us aware of what we've been saved for, saved into that we've got new godly passions to live for. So that when we say no, we're saying it from the heart, not to appease any external or internal drive, and because we've got a new redeemed yes that is our heart's new desire. Well, think about our evangelism. The gospel teaches us in our evangelism. So this Christmas, we'll share Jesus, not because they're wrong and I'm right, but because we are compelled by the love of, that Jesus has shown to us. And the gospel tells us that we can do evangelism boldly, even if we face ridicule and rejection, because we already have the approval of God our Heavenly Father. We don't need anybody else's approval. So this is solid food, thinking through and acting out the implications of the gospel, what it means for how we live out our lives. Because if we aren't growing like this, the danger is that we'll forget the gospel altogether. But please notice chapter six, verse one to three, the author is not saying that we move on from the gospel. Rather, he is saying that we build on the foundation of the gospel. So the list in verse two there, it's hard to know exactly what the author is referring to, but the gist is this. You Hebrews have got all the sort of conceptual framework of repentance and faith, of being marked out as believers, resurrection, heaven and hell. You've had all that framework, and now you know that Jesus, how Jesus fulfills it and completes it. So don't stop there at just knowing and understanding it, put it into practice. So for example, we're converting our garage at our home 
uh, turning it into an office, half of it. So I had to submit plans to the council, to the planning department, and the, the building alterations are approved on the condition that I stick to the foundational plans that I submitted. So whilst I can build an office in my garage, I can't build a sauna on my roof. But of course, for the garage to be built, I've got to actually, well, build it. The gospel always remains our foundation. We never move out beyond its foundations. But we do proactively seek to understand those foundations and how to build on them. Uh, what they will support and what they won't, how to put them into practice. Working out in everyday life what lines up with Jesus, what is good and what is bad. And God permitting, verse 3, God permitting, we will do so. We will do so. So that's our first heartfelt plea, to grow up. Now comes our warning. Beware of dangerous laziness. We can't afford to be lazy in our faith because it puts us in danger of giving up on Jesus altogether. So chapter six, verse four. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared, the Holy, shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. On the one hand, we shouldn't be surprised by this. You know, in the parable of the sower that Jesus told, there's this category of person who receives the gospel with joy, but when the concerns of this world become too overwhelming, they give up on Jesus. But it's pretty confronting, isn't it? That the idea that there are some who look and sound like Christians who fall away, and the word here is that it's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. So does that mean we should stop praying for people that we know who seem to have given up on Jesus? Like all the warnings in Hebrews, I think God intends us to feel the weight of them, to let the, their impact hit you. No caveats, no let-offs. Because if we're true believers, we'll take these warnings to heart. If Jesus is real, if the good news about him is true, and if we've genuinely repented, turned from living life for ourselves and putting Jesus in the driving seat as our Lord and Saviour, then we can expect to grow up, even if it is really slowly. And one of the ways we're kept on that trajectory of growth is to take to heart and heed warnings like this one. And this warning gets even stronger. Verse 6, to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. God won't be made a fool of, and he won't let us mock his son. And Jesus has already been through enough of that already, and much worse. See, the grace that we enjoy for free was one of great, 
great cost. And to treat that grace with the contempt of laziness will not be tolerated indefinitely. We won't get away with putting Jesus off forever. There is a day when God will judge us. And if we're not found in Jesus, we're left to face our own record of rebellion and laziness instead of Jesus' record of loving God perfectly that's available to us by grace. So do these verses mean that we should stop praying for people that we know who seem to have given up on Jesus? You know, what about in John 6 where Jesus says, all those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And more to the point, how do I know I'm definitely in the good crop and not in the thorns and thistles? Verse 6 and 7 are telling us that we can tell if someone has genuine faith by their fruit. In the case of the Hebrews, the point is that they had plenty of food and water. They had the Old Testament and now they had the Gospel. If someone is a genuine believer, we can expect to grow. So if you're not growing or even going backwards, this warning is for you. You are dabbling in dangerous laziness. So if somebody does finally give up on Jesus, well these verses tell us that it must be because they never truly repented and believed. So I think we do still pray for someone who seems to have abandoned Jesus. Pray that they'll come to their senses, that they'll remember their foundational milk of the gospel and start growing before they fall into that category of fallen away. Remember, God's throne is a throne of grace. And it's not our performance that gives us confidence to approach it. But it is a genuine faith in Jesus that does give us confidence. And a genuine faith will be accompanied by growth. So ask a trusted Christian friend, do you think I'm growing? Or what areas do you think I need to grow in? And if this warning is worrying you, if it rattles you and it's getting under your skin, well, that's a good thing because true believers will hear this warning and take it to heart so that it doesn't ever apply to them. Verse nine. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. So better things, our final part of this talk. And the author now moves on to encourage us with better things, things of salvation. So verse 10, he wants to encourage his audience that he recognises in them fruit that demonstrates that they are growing, that they haven't given up on Jesus. And I want to encourage you, those of you that know, the audience of our regulars at Trinity Church Woolcroft. The way you've kept your eyes fixed on Jesus and cared for one another throughout this, the, the shamozzle that has been 2020, well, that's been remarkable. Remarkable to see you keep growing and a testimony to your lack of laziness. So please hear me. I want you to heed the warning. I want you to feel the heat of it. God has it in his word on purpose 
but I am convinced of better things in your case. You see, us heeding these warnings every day, verse 11, with diligence to the very end, not becoming lazy, verse 12, that's all part of how God keeps hold of us. God will never give up on us. And the author tells us to imitate the example of Abraham. God promised to bless him and give him many descendants. And what happened next? Years of infertility. But God had not only made a promise to Abraham, I mean, that was enough because God doesn't lie, but to help Abraham and to help us, children of Abraham who trust in God, to help us be doubly sure God also made an oath. And he did this so that we can be absolutely certain that God will never give up on us. So just as the warnings were strongly worded, so is the encouragement. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In a sanctuary behind the curtain, that's all priest language again. It means we get to be where God is because, verse 20, Jesus has blazed a trail for us. And the picture here is that there's an unbreakable rope between our soul anchored into that perfect rest and relationship with God. Him enjoying us and us enjoying him. So to finish, just three quick questions. What might growing on solid food look like for you? It might mean reading or listening to stuff that helps you understand the gospel more deeply. So read Christian books, read theology, not to just be a smarty pants, but to better appreciate the gospel. So if you imagine the gospel being like a diamond and getting to know about doctrines of justification, imputation, incarnation, all those big words that end in shun from the kids song, well, that's just like looking more closely at different aspects of the diamond, appreciating all the more its beauty and its purity. And as you do that, your heart is swelled to respond to what you learn with righteousness, with knowing right from wrong. Second, what might laziness look like for you? Maybe it's been inattentive to what's really got your ear and your eye. It could be never revisiting the gospel because you reckon, oh, I've heard it all before. Maybe laziness for you is resting on the laurels of a time when you were growing more. I've done my innings, I'll take it easy now. Maybe it's not attending to the basics, reading your Bible, praying and turning up at church more often than you don't. And finally, do you believe God's promise. Well, if, will you believe his promise if he promises you twice? At the end of the rope tied to your soul, he's tied it to an anchor, stuck deep in perfect loving relationship with him forever. 
God will never give up on you. Verse 12 again. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.